my people, what's up? Thank you for listening. This is the Ambush Radio. This is the Ambush Podcast, whatever you want to call it. But uh, today's a good one. I don't really have any news, nothing really interesting to share. But this whole episode today is really just recounting a story. Uh, it's a true story, something that happened to me just a number of months ago. But I thought it was finally time to share this story. So buckle in because, oh man, uh, this one brings out a few things that really need to be addressed and really need to be brought to the forefront. So this one is called, oh, this is about how to be human. And you have to say the, the title with that inflection. You have to say it like that and you'll see why. So let's just jump right on in. My name is John, and I was trained as a pastor, but I seem to have a lot of conversations with people who have one foot out of the church. You know, like they're on the way out, they're walking out, because they have some legitimate critiques and questions and doubts, and I often am one of those people that seem to say, I get it, I totally understand And today's story has to do with a parable from the Gospel of Luke, and it brings out all of that. But if you are somebody that has like an allergic reaction to anything that's Bible-related, it's okay, because I think we're probably going to bring up some of those reasons why you might have an allergic reaction. And you know what? Um, One of the most fascinating things is... Everyone that has a critique or uh, doubts or cynicism and uh, just something they, they want to say about how people go about doing faith, don't worry. You're actually repeating, excuse me, what a lot of the Bible already says. For instance, if you ask me, the Old Testament and the New Testament already contains some of the harshest and severest critiques of people that are doing faith wrong. And if you have that type of a mindset, go back and read some of the prophets. Go back and reread some of the stories of Jesus's life because you may find that in the midst of all of that, those very same critiques are already a part of the tradition. It just so happens that some people choose not to look at those passages. But let's get right into it. This one is called, Oh, this is about how to be human. So a number of months ago, I was leading a series of talks that were all geared around the parables of Jesus. Now, parables to me are incredible. I like to think as parables, they're like grenades that you just kind of drop into the middle of a room and then you see what happens because you don't even have to work hard in order for a parable to spark an hour or two hour long conversation. They're just remarkable. And in fact, not only does Christianity have parables, but so does Buddhism and Judaism. All of these traditions have always used story and allegory uh, and analogy to help flesh out some of these incredible, incredible comments. 
Because when you dress it up in a story, it gets a little bit easier to swallow, to take in, to hear its wisdom. So like I said, a number of months ago, I was leading some conversations about the parables, and it was riveting and fascinating. But one Wednesday night, I was going through, and that evening we were going to talk about the rich man and Lazarus, which is in Luke 16. If you have the chance to read it, I suggest it. I'm going to read it right now, <laughs> but it was so fascinating because in the room, we went through the whole parable. And at the very end of it, I looked over and one of my leaders was just completely confused and, and kind of had the, the angry eyebrows as if, well, I, I don't know how to understand this parable. How do we, what's going on here? And then it was so fascinating because all of us were looking over at her. She's making this face and then it kind of all just resolved and you saw the angry eyebrow turn into surprise and actually kind of excitement for the new insight that she just had. She said, guess what? In this inflection, she said, oh, this is about how to be human. So let's read the parable. It goes like this. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus covered in sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. That is a grotesque scene. It's kind of pitiful. It's really quite sad. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man who also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tongue of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Which means turn around, change your mind, return to your very goodness. He said to him, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. And that's how it ended. That's the end of the parable. And just before that, it says that the Pharisees who loved money 
heard all of his parables and they were sneering at Jesus because of these teachings that he gave. And it was at the end of reading that section, uh, we went through a number of things. We went through all of the ways in which this parable shakes the system. All of the ways in which this parable challenges the normal framework that we come to the topic of faith with. So this whole parable, like I said, is like a grenade. It's supposed to be thrown into the midst of a framework and completely blow it up and to say, no, the way that you thought things were about is actually quite different. So before I go into it, did you notice anything in that story that uh, challenged you? Because if, if not, then it's okay. You may have glanced right over something. You may have not quite caught on, but that's okay. Because we're looking at this story from thousands of years of a passage of time. And we're in a different context and time and language. And so it's okay. Some of it may not catch on us. So let's dive in. All right. I have four things about how this parable challenges the usual framework. Number one. The identity of the poor man seems more important than the rich person. Today, we live in a culture where the poor person is the anonymous one and everyone knows the name of the rich person. We live in a a time where people are looked up to and they are seen as admirable and they are seen as the model of what to achieve if they are rich. But in this parable, the rich person isn't known by their name. In fact, the whole parable, the only persons we name, whose names we know are Abraham and Lazarus, this beggar. Uh-oh. So that changes some things. Who are the poor people that we don't think deserve to be looked up to that we pass by anonymously? And why do we know the names of celebrities, of people that we will never meet, that maybe aren't using their monies very well to help the world? I really like it. There's a hashtag that says, stop making stupid people famous. (laughs) That's amazing. That's number one. Number two way in which this parable disrupts everything is that there's no statement of the faith of the rich man or of Lazarus. There's no creedal statement. You have, from from the story, you don't know what they believe. It seems as though Lazarus is in heaven because he got bad things in this life and the rich man is in torment because he had good things in life but he didn't know how to share them. And so it really seems as though just from this parable, it's almost like faith has very little to do with what you believe, but rather the function of how you believe. How do your beliefs influence the way that you live in the world? Ooh, 
That's number two. Now, number three way in which this parable disrupts and challenges is that heaven and hell are completely dependent on how people apparently seem to use their money. Uh, So it's kind of a build-off of number two. There's no statement of faith, but in this, number three, the Gospel of Luke seems to have the most number of references towards how you spend your money. Of all the Gospels, it seems to be the one that is most concerned with people's financial status and how people use their money. And so here's a parable. Oh, man. It's like Jesus went for the jugular. He looked over and saw the Pharisees who loved money were sneering at him. And then he tells this parable. He knows exactly what he's saying in telling this story. In in telling it, he is directly, (laughs) without naming the Pharisees, he is saying, the way that you love money more than people will result in hell. Ooh. Now, for people that maybe didn't hear that or, or maybe don't like that, it's, it's a difficult thing to understand that Jesus seems to be saying that heaven and hell is completely dependent upon how you spend your money in this life. And so, like I had mentioned before, there are some people that have critiques of how people go about doing their faith, and that's fine. But as long as they know that some of these critiques are already in the scriptures, you start to realize, oh, it's almost as though some people have very selective reading and they choose not to read the Bible passages that challenge their framework, that challenge the way that they love and use money and not know how to love the poor person right next to them. But that's number three. Heaven and hell seem completely dependent upon how you use your money in this life. Number four. And this is uh, kind of hard. There still seems to be classism and selfishness in the part of the rich man. So after he passes away, the rich man is separated. It's like a class system. But the class system is completely reversed where the rich person is not the favored one. Instead, the poor person is the favored one. So the whole class system of the richer on the top has completely been flipped. Oh, wait a second. The favored people are who? It's not the rich people? It's not the one with the suit and the ties and the jets? It's not the people that are on TV all the time? They're not the ones that are known by God, by name? Uh Uh-oh. But then the rich man, even after he is told by Abraham uh, that Lazarus had his lot in life and now he's being comforted, he still does something incredibly, incredibly arrogant. And you can hear it. The rich man says, Abraham... He doesn't even speak to Lazarus. He speaks to Abraham as if Abraham has to listen to him. That's an air of arrogance, isn't it? 
Abraham tell Lazarus to dip his finger in water and, and put a few drops on my tongue. He is still not recognizing that the poor man has got a special place in God's heart. That the rich man thinks uh, Abraham needs to listen to him. The rich man still thinks everyone poorer than him is his servant. Let me say that again. The rich man thinks that everyone who's poorer than him is his servant. But instead, Abraham cuts the conversation short and says, Nope, we can't cross this divide that has been created. Oh, man. This parable, it kind of upends everything. So, real fast. The identity of the poor man seems more important than the identity of the rich man. There's no statement of faith about the characters in this story. Heaven and hell seem completely dependent on not the what of what you believe, but the how. How does your faith go about influencing the way that you spend and use your money? And then four, man, the arrogance and the selfishness of the rich man to tell Abraham what to do and then it falls through, it doesn't do anything for him. It must have been a jarring experience for the rich man. But, oh, no one's going to listen to me, but I have the slicked back hair and the tie on. No, What do you mean no one's going to listen to me? I'm in agony over here. I need some help. But you see, he's coming from a place, I've used the word before, arrogance. That there's a form of elitism there. There's a classism that's built upon how rich he is. And so in the midst of going through these four ways in which this parable disrupts our usual framework, it was so fascinating to look over and watch this other volunteer with kind of confused eyebrows and just, uh, uh, well, the, but, but this is, um, but, but number two and number, but before your your third point, and then it, as it just slowly changed, the eyebrows released, and you could just see, it opened up a whole world for this parable, to say. Oh, this is about how to be human. It's almost as though the parable. That's a grenade which dropped into the middle of the room and it just blew the wall out. And all of a sudden, the world was so much larger that the parable just blew open the construct that we were working with about what faith is about and made it all about, oh, this is about how to be human. And it was so fascinating because I chuckled but in the back of my head, I also thought this, and I, I didn't say it out loud, but it was, why are faith and being human seen as separate topics? And maybe that's one of your critiques. Maybe that's something that you have some beef with, that people who are people of faith sometimes uh, make it all about 
these ethereal and spiritual matters that have to do with heaven and the afterlife. And because they emphasize that so much, they forget how to live here now. And that's the beautiful thing about so many of these parables. Although they use the phrase kingdom of God, which means to be governed by the same ethics and principles as Jesus, all of these parables are actually very much about life here now. And uh, it, it really says something that we have completely misread some of these parables because we come to it with a framework of thinking this parable is all about how to get to Abraham's side. This parable is about how to get favor. This parable, no, 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 no. This parable is about how the poor are known to God. The how of your belief might be just as much important as the what of what you believe. That it actually matters how you spend your money and are compassionate to people here now. That those things matter. And that you can still miss the point even after it all and still maintain selfishness and classism and elitism and and thinking that you're better than anyone else. As I was writing notes for this uh, episode, a great quote came to me from uh, Soren Kierkegaard, who is a Danish philosopher who, get this, wrote a book called Attack on Christendom. Now, he was a person of the church, but he was so disillusioned with the church that he, he wrote a whole book called Attack on Christendom. And it's a scathing, scathing comment of the Danish church of his day. And this quote has to do with scholarship and how there are some people that have actually made a profession out of their quote-unquote Christian scholarship and have found ways to interpret away the demands of some of these parables. So here's what he says, and it is scathing. So here you go. You might enjoy it. The matter is quite simple. The Bible is very easy to understand, he says. But we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. <laughs> we pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are obliged to act accordingly. Take any words in the New Testament and forget everything except pledging yourself to act accordingly. My God, you will say, if I do that, my whole life will be ruined. How would I ever get on in the world? Herein lies the place of Christian scholarship. Christian scholarship is the church's prodigious invention to defend itself against the Bible. To ensure that we can continue to be good Christians without the Bible coming too close. Oh, priceless scholarship. <laughs> what would we do without you? Can you hear the sarcasm? <laughs> dreadful it is to fall into the hands of the living God. Yes, it is even dreadful to be alone with the New Testament. And that's from his provocations. The provocations of Soren Kierkegaard. 
his quote, you can hear the the sarcasm and maybe the cynicism, but he's really trying to show the fact that we we have built so many constructs and we have such a framework of which to try to read the Bible through that maybe a defense mechanism against actually doing what it says. Because if you were to read this whole parable and think that it's just about faith, you might never get around to realizing that it has all to do with your finances. Ooh. It has all to do with how you live in the world with compassion. And it has very much to do with your understanding of elitism and whether or not you think that people are who are poorer than you are your servants or should it be that the rich should be serving the poor should it be that classism should not exist before or after death is it that we have put certain people into celebrity status because of how rich they are when maybe the heart of God is closer to saying the poor person I know by name but not the rich man over there. When we take some of these parables and think they're all about quote-unquote faith and not about life here now, we completely miss the revolutionary activity of some of these parables. So put yourself in the in the room when this happens. The Pharisees, who are the religious leaders of the of the day, they were the schooled, they were the learned, they were the ones that were the power brokers. They were the ones that everyone looked up to and they wore the robes that identified them as special. And they're sneering at Jesus and Jesus knows that they love money more than people. And so he tells this parable. And you can almost imagine the Pharisees with their jaw dropped. It makes good sense that in many of these gospel accounts, the Pharisees and the religious and political elite immediately start making plans to have him killed. Because when you start talking about finances, when you start talking about compassion, when you start talking about the rich should be serving the poor, you're upending the whole system. You are taking the whole framework and turning it on its head and saying the kingdom of God is different. So let's go back to the very beginning. Let's say you're someone who has one foot on the way out of the church. Maybe you still think faith has got some good things to it, but you you don't like many parts of it. Go back and reread some of these famous and amazing scriptures. Some of the the accounts of Jesus' life just show him going from place to place, offending two types of people, the religious and the political elite, by saying, you guys have it all wrong. The way you understand authority and the way you understand faith are completely backwards. And so, man, these parables are just fantastic because they are subversive and they are 
critical and they're hopeful and they have some spunk to them and they they invite you to chuckle just a little bit a little bit at the lunacy of the situation that he's telling a parable that is all about the Pharisees in front of the Pharisees but he never uses the word Pharisees it would be like today going into a courtroom and telling a story about the judge never using the word judge never even mentioning the judge's name but everyone in the room can know oh my goodness he's talking about the judge right there or the policeman or the pastor over there or the rabbi or the priest like imagine going into a place and telling a story that subverts the whole framework and says your perspective of authority and what faith is about needs to be blown open because it's a small little room that you're in and the world is so much larger. So that's it for today. This is a, this is a remarkable topic. This is so fascinating, the, the parables and I don't know, maybe you can go from this and you might be inspired to go back and reread some of the same old stories with a fresh perspective and be like, okay, how is this really about life here now? And maybe by doing that, you might be seeing some of these ancient stories, the ancient wisdom of the Jesus tradition in a brand new way because as soon as you think you understand it, you might realize, oh, I had it wrong the whole time. And now this parable just blew open a wall. And now the world is bigger. So thank you for listening. And uh, let's finish with a benediction. May you, the listener, may you go forth inspired to care and to have compassion. May you learn to serve those who are poorer than you, to use your money to bless other people rather than just hoard it up for yourself. May you find that some of these teachings, the ancient wisdom of the faith, are actually quite dynamic and inspiring and invigorating and life-giving. And may you come to see that really faith can be summed up with this statement. Oh, this is about how to be human. Because to be human is so much more than it's given credit. Thank you for listening. You are a delight, and this is a privilege that anyone even takes the time to listen. So may grace and peace be with you.